welcome to a very experimental Distracted Podcast. I'm Elijah. And I'm CJ. And I'm Alec. Alec's not actually here. How dare you? Uh, rather easily. <laughs> That's what I do. The, the poor boy's sick. He, need, he needs his rest. He needs to die. Which is what? Okay, that's very early <laughs> on in the podcast for that. <clears throat> what can I say? It's almost midnight. That's true. Um, the gremlin has come. So first and foremost, I'd like to formally apologize because we meant to record our uh, fresh reactions from seeing uh, Spider-Man No Way Home after the theaters but we all got really tired which is fair yeah so that episode is going to be postponed indefinitely not indefinitely god no at least until next week that's fair you know once alec is feeling better we can have him and everyone and we're just gonna have a fun time a uh, uh, heckin joy time so, so instead we're you're getting uh, the experimental news broadcast style yeah, it's slightly experimental, definitely more tangential, if you will. I'll agree to that. <clears throat> uh, so I think first and foremost, uh, you listened to the first episode because we're now officially on Anchor and Spotify. The Distracted Podcast is live and able to be viewed. Please watch us. Please. God, I need something to go right this year. <laughs> well, it's gone right. It's mostly just I'd like to have a podcast actually get up off the ground. That'd be fun. Yeah. So, uh, you had one note. Ah, yes. So, I must make a formal apology. I am a fake geek girl. Um, so That's such a loaded statement. So, I said back in, during our previous uh, video that the Chip Zdarsky uh, run of, uh, of Marvel 2-in-1, the story entitled The Fate of the Four, tied into Reed and, to Reed and Sue's deaths at the end of Annihilation. That was not true. Reed, Sue, Valeria, Valeria, and whatever the name of their son is, Nathaniel, that's his name, all died at the, or were, were presumed deceased at the end of Secret Wars. Can you tell these events are starting to run together? Yes, it's almost like they're slowly running out of ideas and threats to have everyone in, a part of. No, no, I just mean they're doing too many of them. It's, that's the same statement, just a different angle. I guess. From a certain point of view. <laughs> Don't make me start singing, Charles. <laughs> so, other than that, I think that's, I mean, that's the only one I really caught. I mean, I got the date wrong on, on Age of Ultron, but who cares? It's Age of Ultron. It's Age of Ultron. It's, it's, it's worse days of future past. Uh, the one thing I will look up, though, because I might have been wrong about, and it might make me a fake 40k fan... I mean, we already knew that. Excuse you. Okay, I'll leave. Take no, my microphone with me. No, no. We're, we're, okay. So, first and foremost, it's not called the War of the Beast book series. The mm-hmm. 12 book series I talked about. It's called The Beast Arises. Um, and it is... That, this was why I was going here. It is actually 12 books. I thought it was may have been more than that. Mm-hmm. But... 12 novels is like a good little like test sample for something that's long term because uh, before they did a lot of either single <clears throat> like novels mm-hmm. or like novellas and a collection of short stories yeah. or they would do trilogies like the Ultramarine trilogy or the um oh god what are they called um Conrad Kurz's Legion um Conrad Kurz, uh, the Blood Ravens? No, Blood Ravens is not Conrad Kurz. Blood Ravens don't even know who their primarch is. Although it's highly suspected that is Magnus the Red. Fair. Um, I am a not even a forty k fa- fan. Really, when you get down to it. Soul Hunter by Aaron Densky Bowden. Um, not in, not the a Night Lords, the Night Lords trilogy. 
by Aaron Dembski about it. Really good trilogy. Highly recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's just called The Beast Arises. I, I was about the War of the Beast, but it's called The Beast Arises. That's about the only note that I have. Um, but yeah, I think beyond that, because there's some topics that I want to talk about with Alec here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is uh, news in the gaming sphere. Ah, um, yes. Microsoft purchased and acquisitioned uh, Activision Blizzard. Maybe they'll stop being shite. And maybe... Uh... So, um, their CEO is still going to be around, but I think that's only for the transition and for getting all the licenses and the parts necessary parts from the company mm-hmm. transferred over to Microsoft. And it might also just be a contractual thing anyway. Because I know um, the CEO of Microsoft Xbox is saying that they'll know they won't be around for much longer. Not the C- that the CEO of Xbox, but the CEO of Activision Blizzard. Mm-hmm. The 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 um for lack of a better term, asshole, uh, that allowed a lot of the uh, sexual misconduct to take place in the company and to fervently support those who were enacting it. You know, indefensible bullshit. Oh yeah. Um, but a lot of people beyond focusing on the um the important notion of the power dynamics in uh, said company, they, um, a lot of people were like, well, what does this mean about potential exclusivity for franchises like Call of Duty? Or, um, like Blizzard produces World of Warcraft that's now going to be in the wheelhouse of Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And I'd say since the most sense Bungie left and they purchased the rights to Halo, quality assurance has been something that's been slowly going up after the failure of Halo 5. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much in the know you are about Microsoft's like company and uh, production acquisitions. All I really know is that Microsoft really has definitely made a lot of questionable decisions in the past. Honestly, they're not a company I've followed. So... I, I grew up as an Xbox and Nintendo fan because uh, Sony consoles were pretty out of my family's price range. Amen um, but to gra- that. But granted, granted like that, that, that varies from generation to generation. Yeah. Um, but like... I was a Nintendo boy for life, baby. I mean, that's like, that's like the everyman's console. Like, it's what you first get because it's inexpensive and it's widely available. Unless it's the Switch and on additional release during the pandemic, hmm. um, or the the Switch Lite upon additional release during the pandemic, but like, so Microsoft uh, famously bought Bungie from Apple in order to create the Xbox. Yeah, which is why Halo was the uh, Halo Combat Evolved was the the um, console release game mm-hmm. with the Xbox. Because is what they were selling. It was essentially a Halo machine until they started coming out with other titles. <laughs> um, and when Bungie wanted to leave after Halo Reach, because they had negotiated that we're going to buy out our half of the contract so we can become independent developer again. Yeah. And Microsoft went, okay, but we'd like to buy Halo for me. It's like, that's fine. Um, we've already hinted at our next IP. Uh, within, our, within these games, we're just going to partner separate ways. You take the members of our team that want to stay and stick with Halo development... We'll take the rest of ours going on to what would become Destiny, which they ended up getting bankrolled with Activision, and then Activision fervently fucked for most of Destiny's lifespan and most of Destiny 2's lifespan until Bungie 
took full development of Destiny 2 is now in production, uh, now producing better quality content because it actually makes sense. Yeah. Um, so guess what? De- Destiny is back with Microsoft. More or less. Well, no, because Bungie only released through Activision, but Activision mm-hmm. did not touch okay. Bungie stuff. So Bungie's its own independent thing now, or it is again. All right, that makes sense. But after that, after Bungie, they purchased, um, I believe it was Obsidian? I think they purchased Obsidian. Uh, the the uh, famously made uh, Knights of the Old Republic, mm-hmm. Knights of the Old Republic 2. Um, they also made uh, arguably the best Fallout game, Fallout New Vegas. So with that purchase, they got like those those programmers, those um, those designers, those directors, yeah, and as well as the writers. And and this will also give them, at least hopefully in theory, the one thing that Obsidian's always been kind of uh, troubled with, shall we say? Which is what quality control. Uh, since they're such a small team, their games have been kind of notoriously buggy. Yeah, I can say as someone who tried to mod and play Fallout New Vegas on the PC, that game shatters. I like the mere thought of like having a solid save. Oh yeah, I'll bet. And it, it does. It's horrendous. It has a bug because of it having to depend upon a Microsoft service that no longer exists. And before the actually. and before Obsidian's fans come and try to castrate me, uh, I know they've definitely gotten better ever since they started self-publishing. But those games aren't exactly in the public no- knowledge as much as Co- as much as Kotor Two and Fallout New Vegas. Yeah. Although they're not really self-publishing, they're publishing through Microsoft. Okay, Microsoft well, yeah. owns them. Well, I mean, but the th- big thing that has happened since then is that they have better quality assurance. Because guess what came mm-hmm. out through Obsidian that beat out Fallout seventy six. What? Outer Worlds. Oh yeah. That came out under Microsoft's umbrella. Look, I'm just gonna say this: any anything that the Fallout four developers can make, Obsidian can make better. Which. That's a separate topic. I'd love to do a, a retrospective breakdown, because I tried that before on my YouTube channel. Look mm-hmm. it up. I'd rather not. Um, a Distracted Gamer mm-hmm. at YouTube.com. Um, but, yeah, let's, uh, let's, re- let's revive that. It's there. It's, hi- it's archived. Hmm. A lot of my other uh, live streaming stuff is there, too, for archive's cool. sake. Um, I've tried playing Dragon's Dogma. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. Heck of a game to pick. But that, anyway. That's also a separate topic for uh, discussion. But... Um, then they bought, famously, a couple years ago, mm-hmm. Bethesda. Microsoft's a fucking monster. But here's the thing. As much as we already understand that, like, megalopolies are going to be a thing going forward, especially where you have the monster known as Disney, um, Microsoft, through its purchases and through its course corrections, especially with, like, Halo, because, mm-hmm. like, Halo 4 came out, not a lot of people liked the art direction, they liked sort of the more COD-style multiplayer, but then Halo 5 went the complete, went further in on that Call of Duty-style multiplayer, uh-huh. and ruined what made Halo, Halo. Hmm. It also played, it also dabbled in the uh, gambling side mm-hmm. of multiplayer content. Ah, uh, yes. With live service features. But, um... Games as a service. But Halo Infinite has changed that up and has been improving and changing slowly. That's also another topic, but it just shows, just goes to show with their produ- with their production and willing to delay Halo Infinite by a year, <gasps> that they're willing to put in the quality assurance that is necessary for a game to come out mostly complete and mostly fixed. Because it is going to be, it is an open world game. It is sort of live service-y. 
Because you only get to play like the first major chunk of the campaign and they're going to release the storyline. That's disgusting. It is. Compared to, well, we waited three years for Halo 2. Halo 2 came out. It's great. Mm -hmm. We waited another few years. We finished the fight with Halo 3. And then we got Halo 3 MST, and then Halo Reach. I could go through the whole Halo Lex- whole Halo collection of things. I have most of the games physically. But, again, that's another podcast topic we don't have time for. All I'll Again, say... Moving forward. Oh, okay. Sorry, you can go ahead. I'm sorry. All I'll say is, unless you're an indie developer, there's no reason for episodic release schedules. You're just li- you're just a lazy AAA de- program. <clears throat> I think it's tied... To, I, think, I think the excuse is that it's tied to keeping games at $60. That's bullshit, and you know it. I know it is. I'm saying that's the excuse they're selling. Anyways, because of purchasing Bethesda, there was a lot of cooled, like, reaction Mm -hmm. to their big current project with a Starfield, which is supposed to release either this, like, within the next two years, especially while they're simultaneously developing the next Elder Scrolls game, which Elder Scrolls, by itself, is a mine. It's not even a mine. It's a quarry that's been completely emptied of any workable stone in regards to, like, what they've done to it under Todd Howard. Um, Like, Michael Kirkbride used to, like, was the only reason why Morrowind was so successful. Mm -hmm. Like, if you go on YouTube and look up All in All, he's a Russian animator. He has has a miniseries called Thalmor, Mm -hmm. which is based off of Michael Kirkbride's, like, lore bible for the Elder Scrolls, because he still gets Mm -hmm. brought in for um, lore content. Yeah. As far as to like, hey, we need your help with this. Just kind of fill in the blanks. But he no longer officially writes or works for Bethesda or Zenimax. That's a pity. Especially considering how good Morrowind was. I mean, I remember chewing through this whole this seven hour review of it that really did highlight the uh, that game's strengths. I watched the sequel to Oblivion, which was like double the time. <laughs> it's a 14 hour review. It, was, it might be more. Let me look this up. This is active research... Uh, ladies and gentlemen and those uh, in the middle of that colorful spectrum Let's we see. love you all except you you oh. know who you are you know what you did Alec Janaki Jotaro oh yeah a quick analysis of Oblivion is 12 hours long from Patrician TV go and watch his, his 7 hour Morrowind review then watch the 12 hour Oblivion review afterwards I did it it's good. It's good content. It's great. Mm. Patrician tier stuff is like. That's the good shit. It's good. That like seriously. Lo- good good content. Long form long form content for a long form game. Yes, mm. it requires it. Um, another person I'd highly recommend is uh, uh, Salt Factory. Oh He's yes. done some reviews. He reviewed the original Witcher game. He's mm-hmm. reviewed recently Mass Effect Two. He also reviewed Dragon Age Origin, uh, mm. which I know our, our mutual friend Jay really enjoys uh, mm. the crap out of. And uh, to throw my hat in the ring, I might recommend uh, picking up uh, H-Bomber Guy's review of uh, Fallout 3. It's very old, but it still very much rings true. And rings true to the strengths and weaknesses of the game. Yep, which there are plenty. But again, uh, retrospective might be a topic to discuss later. Okay. Just because I have a lot to say. Mm-hmm. And with how we want to make this more newsworthy and less tangential, I mean, which, which we're already off the rails. Um, that there's a, yes, it's a separate topic. Yeah, I'll um, just say, that's so, a whole video topic. Just game, des- game development process. 
so because of how cool the reaction was about Starfield, mm-hmm. my thinking is that Microsoft is going to put Obsidian's writing team on the next Fallout game. Fallout Five is going to be a thing. I hope so. Because Fallout so. Seventy Six so. has shown that they sh- they can't they shouldn't do live service MM, uh, MMO style games for Fallout. Yeah, if you I, could do a multiplayer thing. Yeah, honestly, I think an an MORPG would be perfect for Fallout, which is essentially just a slightly small, which is just a smaller scale MMO for those of you. You who just do don't a co op thing like Borderlands. Yeah, just like maximum maybe four players. Hell, even just two, like a co-op thing, would be interesting. Uh, re reinstituting um, voices protagonist, so you have interesting writing for your responses, and it's more role-playing based instead of like the heavy rain style voice acted content. There's not a lot of choices, and everything's sort of in the middle ground mm. with the responses. I like the extreme options, like in Fallout New Vegas. You, c- you can go to the Grand Canyon and talk to the tribals, and if you have the um, uh, the imperialist perk, you talk down to them, like, well, whatever fucking gobbledygook, as they try to speak their native language to you. But if you have the uh, the opposite of that perk, where you understand tribal languages, you can respond to them in kind, and they're like, oh, you know the language. And so you get different character mm-hmm. interactions that way, and you get better affinity with characters. And it definitely might be one of those things where it would be very interesting to see that implemented with, uh, with Microsoft uh, and their coterie. Yeah. Plus, I feel like I'm one of the few people that really enjoys the art design of Fallout 4 because it harkens back to the original Fallout aesthetic. It's a little bit too clean, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I like the shapes. The creature design, I think, was a, was standout, to be sure. Especially the robot design. I liked it. Mm. It definitely harkens back to that retro future, um, retro futurism mm-hmm. that uh, Fallout espoused. Um, a little bit too rounded in the character models, but that's just an aesthetic thing. They were like that in the original game because the pixel, the pixel uh, number, the pixel count was lower, mm-hmm. so things had to be more pronounced and more rounded, so that way you got a character out of it instead of a pile of mush. Unless you're the master, then you're literally talking pile of mush. And, and we'll always love you for it. Best ending to a game. Um, yeah, that is a whole master class on, on game design. And design. But following the trend of quality assurance, I played and have stopped playing since because of the controversies in Activision Blizzard. I used to play Warzone, which is fun. I, like, mm-hmm. I, love, I love PUBG. I like my Battle Royales. But Warzone does it easy, because an arcade shooter matches with the sort of competitiveness and tension that uh, yeah. Battle Royale has, and the fusion of those two together is like peanut butter and chocolate. Mm-hmm. At least I think so. Mm. And like some of the other people I've like collaborated with and like played with, they agree. Modern Warfare, pretty good. Um, uh, with the recent Black Ops game, not bad. Zombies was a little bit better. They moved things a little bit forward. Uh, they fleshed out stuff, but it was kind of uh, people wanted uh, people wanted sorbet. They got soft serve. Mm-hmm. Then the recent World War Two release came out for Call of Duty Vanguard, uh, end of last year. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, that game is complete dog shit. No. <laughs> zombies is completely gutted. It's destroyed. It's no longer zombies. Um, that seems to be a trend with modern The multiplayer titles. is kind of garbage. Mm-hmm. The weapon customizations are completely insane. And I, I don't know who was doing rails of Peruvian marching powder in um, Activision's offices. I think it was Sledgehammer Games that produced that game. I don't think it was Treyarch. Uh, Call of Duty Vanguard, look up that studio so we don't have to do another update thing until we re-listen to it and do research afterwards. I mean, we're still going to get plenty of plenty of stuff wrong. Probably. It is late at night, it's bound to happen. Alright, let's see. Okay, Sledgehammer. Mid-Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer? Alright, fuckers. Yep. Sledgehammer Games. Y'all made Dead Space, get better. There is a Dead Space remake coming out. The thing is that Sledgehammer Games um, was only part of the team that developed it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's two of the founders. You know, Glenn Schofield, and Michael Condre. Condre, Condre, I don't Condre. know. Condre, okay, I have the right the first time. Yeah, okay. they worked at Visceral, and then they decided to work go to and work at Sledgehammer. And then Visceral is uh, members of Visceral created a new studio, which is doing the remake of Dead Space One. Okay, and at hun- the same time as they're making a. Dead Space like horror game that's set in the PUBG universe. Am I the only person here who just doesn't get the whole PUBG craze? I mean, it is. It's a. Also, how can it have a universe? So it's. It, I don't know enough about it to really be a um, an authority on it. I think it's mostly like they said. I heard PUBG universe mentioned, but I think it's less of PUBG universe and more of like using the science fiction setting of giving a reason for um, players unknown battlegrounds to exist as like a reality show maybe it's like a blood sport thing and like this is the wider scope I just said it just said it in, in Colorado and it all makes sense yep <laughs> said it in Arizona hey, I used to live in Colorado people so you can put those pitchforks down I'm one of you all three of you <laughs> it's fine I keep I keep watching the metrics um, but anyways, because of that and all the controversy and sort of the mishandling of some of Blizzard's release, especially with the um, uh, the Warcraft and Starcraft remakes, <laughs> that tried to hide the original games within all the new gloss, and, and also ju- yeah, and also made so you can't even play the old games anymore yeah. unless you have a disc, which is hard to find now. And a disk drive, which is even harder to find now. You can get USB ones. You can you, you can get a PC built with a disk drive, but they don't produce fair. newer ones anymore. That's fair. I mean, to be fair, the last time I tried to get a disk drive, they tried to build, force me into uh, buying software to go with the hardware for like a hundred bucks a month. I was not a happy boy. Hear that, Microsoft? Your subscription system for your software is bullshit. So... Because of all these failed lateral passes, not even like forward throws, mm-hmm. using some football terms here, I don't know who watches, who will listen to this. I don't. That's a lie, and we both know that. I don't what? I don't know football. No, I'm saying this podcast, not the not football. But because of these, because of these failed attempts at making announcements in video games or changing things to such a degree that you alienate your fan base like hell they tried to they tried to make a diablo phone game 
a big deal in the way they try to play it off when people ask like is this a, a really out of season of April Fool's, Fool's joke? joke it's like what you guys don't have phones and just a cacophony of booze those two men standing on that stage had no idea that was the response they're gonna get you know out of a PC crowd yeah god I'm still gonna ever, I'm gonna bring that up forever because that's such a stupid thing to do yeah especially when like Diablo 3 was already kind of meh and then they did like a Diablo 2 remake no Diablo 1 remake right I think yeah, I thought it was a Diablo 2 uh, upscale I think Diablo 2 upscale I think they were planning or they have done a Diablo 1 I don't know I'm not gonna do the research on that I don't care I don't care enough to bitch on about that but and just to go and show the quality assurance of Activision Blizzard because of the two merging mm-hmm. has gone down because of the bulk. Yeah, I mean, just look at their disastrous <coughs> attempts with um, Overwatch as well, from attempting to artificially create an eSport to the pathetic attempts to balance the game. Also, a lot of the... Look at me, uh, you, Doomhand. Also, a lot of the... Doomfist. Um, really soft... Um, Inclusion politicking that they've done with the game. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean the half-assed attempts to uh, market themselves to the uh, to that to the to the PC crowd? Free Hong Kong. That too. Yeah. Yeah. So because of those things, Microsoft has gotten really good at damage control when it comes to firing the right people that need to be fired and keeping the keeping and rehiring the correct people to keep a studio going. And so hopefully they fire all the people who are in charge of the decisions we were just talking about. Yeah, hear that Michael Kotick? They're coming after you. That's the CEO of Activision Blizzard. His name's Michael Kotick. Yeah. He's a prick. That's, yeah, and, that's one word for him. Yep. And since there might be children watching this... Uh, no, no, I have this under explicit content specifically, which is why we can say fuck. Oh, cool. Fuck. There we go. All right. So, next news point. You had mentioned Gundam. Ah, yes. So, nine days ago on YouTube, a trailer dropped for what I still consider one of the more mystifying uh, pieces of extended work in the Mobile Suit Gundam Universal Century series. We're getting... What appears to be either an anime or OVA of Kukuru of Kuruku's Doan's Island. I'm pretty sure it's going to be an OVA. I'm pretty sure it might just. I think no, it said movie. It could, okay. We could eventually get an OVA though because they did the same thing for many things for uh, Char's origin. Yeah, oh, the origin, yeah. The origin, yeah. Well, I say Char's origin because that was the film, and then they OVA'd the shit out of it and made it better. No, they they just chopped up the movie, the movies. There were six of them. There were. That's right. Because it was really it was just the origin of it was just the origin story for everything. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I want to get well. There's only five. Sorry, five movies, right? Five, six. Five movies. I thought that was considered the OVA. No. The o- okay. Or maybe it is, or maybe they're considered the OVA movies. Honestly, you may not know comic book terminology, but I really don't understand well, the ins and outs. I actually know. I know there. Di- wait, I think I know the difference between movie and OVA. Is that OVA is designed for a home release only, like a Legend of the Galactic Heroes was an is an is the world's longest running OVA. 
Uh, one prime difference between a standard anime episode and an OVA is that the OVA never gets aired on television. Okay. The OVA episodes are primarily available for consumers to purchase either via VHS, DVD, or Blu-rays. On the other hand, a standard anime episode usually release release on television in theaters. So okay. I don't. So Japan and Crunchyroll had an originally simultaneous release of the Gundam: The Origin series, mm-hmm. which then became the OVA, which was. Uh, because that's the DVD Blu-ray release. So in the TV releases, you the screen darkens. Mm-hmm. So, so it's just an the, altered, altered broadcast of the anime. Because the OVA is never broadcasted; it's re-released as it's re, it's a it's a separate release. So the series run, it's sort mm-hmm. of like Dragon Ball Kai or Dragon Ball Z Kai in a way. Because I guess because like Dragon Ball Z had a lot of bulk to it. It had girth. Had had horrendous um, additions, but Kai trims down trims down a lot of that. Like the Frieza fight was like twenty four episodes, I think, or twenty something episodes. Some they trimmed it down hell. to sixteen. The last five are the are, the last five episodes are Goku and Frieza fighting after he achieves Super Saiyan. Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> For like this thirty plus year old Ev- manga, everyone knows through os- cultural osmosis, except for you. Yeah, you, Emma. No, Emma knows. <laughs> probably. Uh, her and Alec live together, so probably they do. Yeah. Um, but, anyways, to get back on track, um, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes. It's, it has Amuro. It has the RX. It's going to have Kuruku's Doan. You already see the Pegasus uh, ships. Mm-hmm. So... Correct me if I'm wrong, does the Doan Island, uh, like, series take place after they reach, they, it takes place after they reach White Base, right? I got no clue, I never read it. Not White Base, um, fucking what's it called? Kuruku's Doan's Island. No, 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 um, when they go to get the refit for the ship, for the Pegasus. Chaburo. Chaburo, yes. Okay, so no, if I recall correctly, uh, so the the episode the episode that never got released in America of that uh, first created Kurukus Doan's Island. I'm just gonna look this up because I don't want to add this to the beginning, and this this is would just be embarrassing. That it would show my uh, how sure, fake Gundam fans. I mean, do I need to get out the goof custom model? You don't have it here, so you can't. I will drive over. To fucking waste our time too. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, we're a podcast. That's what we do. Thanks. Yeah, that's one way of calling me out. <laughs> hey, sorry. <laughs> oh man, this is episode fifteen. So it's not that far in the original run. No, let's see. This was this followed time. Be still. Oh yeah, where you had the. Uh... Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah, so, what, we... so what episode in the original anime did they arrive at Jabiru? Oh boy, okay. When did Jabiro debut? This is it I think this was on their this was on their way to um Oh Operation Odessa. Yes. Yeah, because this thing because Jabiro didn't appear until episode twenty nine of the series. Okay, so it was a filler episode then. I mean it was what part, I'm picking up. It was part because of because I've read I've already read it up through Jabiro. Because so, it was part of the 
uh, Black Tristar arc. So first part of the Tristar. Well, to remember to remember one thing is that in the 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 manga you're reading, they switch o- the Odessa arc and the Jaburo arc. Because they make it makes more sense chronologically to have White and, Base already be Pegasus one and geographically too. Yeah, it does not make sense for them to trek all the way through Russia, and then all the way across the European continent, go to Ireland, get refitted and fixed, and then go all the way over to South America. Honestly, the only way that makes sense is they really wanted to fuck with that Zeke general that was blocking their path originally. Why not just kill him like they do the did the rest? They do that in Volume Five during the Battle of Jaburo. <laughs> they drop that. They drop. Also, that he didn't. Also, there. he didn't exist. He existed to make to accept all I, of Makuve's incompetence. I know. I know that much. I'm like, this guy's new. He's funny. He's gonna die. <laughs> oh yes. And does he die? Oh God, yes. Um, We're talking about General <laughs> Romeo Garcia. For those of you not who don't like the pronoun game. But it's so much fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited for it. Mm-hmm. I, I like I like the Universal Century arc. Yeah, um, I grew up with Gundam Wing and um, God, what's that Gundam series? Um, if all they like the top pilots had like card suits tied to them. Oh yeah, I don't know. I grew up with that one too on Toonami. So yeah, to be fair, I <clears throat> mostly kind of came into the game later, but and just spammed, pushed my way through um, the, the original Gundam series and Zeta as well. That's the only way you can watch the original Gundam run is by pushing through it. I mean, hey, it's still a fun time. I can definitely see why it's the nowadays cultural touchstone that it is. Because it was the first to do what it did at that level. Yeah. But then there's other stuff like um, like Votan, Sundagrim... Um, uh, Ideon for the more super robot aspect of side of of that of the real robot era. Um, Robotech. What? Yeah, that's fun. All that stuff. Um, Front Mission. If you want to get into video games, since we're yeah. you, we're bringing up uh, tabletop. And then eventually brought up uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, also, speaking of tabletop, you have some personal news that you shared with me earlier. I do. Would you like to share with the podcast? Ah yes, right. So, um, this so um, there's been a there's a, been a cooperative card game that I've recently become a fan of called Sentinels of the Multiverse. <laughs> this yes. is it's a for those of you who don't know, it is a superhero themed uh, themed uh, cooperative card game, essentially uh, for playable up to one to five players. Each player picks a deck representing a different hero. So you have people like Bunker, who's like War Machine, or you have Legacy, who's Superman with a bunch of predecessors and his own do- and Supergirl is his daughter. There's the Argent Adept, who's like a young asshole version of Doctor Strange, or Tempest, who is what if Storm was an alien fish person? Or Omnitron X, my favorite boy. Ah yes, Mega Man. He, except he's all robot, no man. So is Mega Man. Mega Man's an entirely a robot. He's a reploid. No. Mega Man X is a Reploid. Mega Man is a robot. Reploids, did, reploids didn't exist yet. Super fighting robot. <laughs> Mega Man. You're I, right. I'm a fake Mega Man. I mean, that also means to everyone that Zero technically isn't a Reploid either until he gets his rebuilt body halfway through the X series. 
Because he, because he was built back, but he was built by Wiley. He's built wrong. <laughs> that's I'm not. That's that's programist. That's chassisist. Anyway, so no, I'm just right. <laughs> and so every hero has an associated deck, and it's just deck that that allows them to perform different actions. And you all are, and the all the players are working together to defeat a villain, uh, which is represented by another card and deck. And uh, recently, uh, Greater Than Games, the public creators and publishers of the uh, of of um, Sentinels of the Multiverse, decided, you know, we've been uh, doing a shit ton of errata, and our artist has just been he's been getting better and better over the years. So we're gonna release a new edition that essentially really rebalances everything, tightens up the rules, and we also get to really explore the artist's uh, very very chameleon-like almost tr- ability to just draw and. Uh, and I was one of the Kickstarters for it. And this uh, definitely means that the game... And so that um, just yesterday, my copy of the box came in. And I spent a good bit of time today uh, actually uh, opening up everything, putting the hero cards in foil, I, in foils. Sorry, not in foils, in sleeves. And uh, I just want to say that it definitely looks very good. Uh... Christopher Bedell, Adam Rebataro, y'all, the two of you, and the rest of your staff at Greater Than Games are have really outdone themselves. I've yet to play a game with it, mostly because I work a full-time job, and I, I don't have time. Today was my day off. And, uh, otherwise, and... But it's still, it looks like a very good game, and from what I've seen, comparing and contrasting, the rules have definitely been tightened up, and I'm interested to see how reworked heroes like Bunker and, and how will play or the completely reworked Omnitron villain. I'm I'm wondering what they're going to do for balancing once they release the Omnitron X um, part of the expansions for the 1.5 release? Definitive edition. Definitive. I mean, they'll probably make it so that... That's definitive. I mean, they'll probably make it so that he can only target his own equipment cards. Since that, the, but also they should probably limit the number of, of his equipment that you can run on him at once. No. I don't want that. Neither do I, but I just know for a fact that like, that's what you do. I mean... If you want to balance it out, because he is a very powerful hero otherwise. I mean, he's still got that's his... that's why I play him. <laughs> he's got his weaknesses. He's pretty frail. He, you know, take three more than three damage, his armor pops off. Okay, but here's the thing, though. What's that's a function damage? of the cards. Yeah. If you take three damage, you just remove the equipment and you don't take the damage. No, you still take the damage. It, Do you? Yeah, it's just that so much damage the armor pops off. Yeah. Well, like, you also have plenty of equipment that can heal you pretty quickly back up. Yeah. But honestly, I do think so. probably one of the bigger decks that may need some... Oh, that's what I was thinking. You reduce damage depending on the type because there's armor plates yeah. that do that. And then if they still take just too much damage, then they pop off. Yeah. I'm curious how to see how they're going to end up uh, working the Southwest Sentinels with that. Because they are already a very mechanically unusual quartet of heroes with a single deck. They might not do a whole lot of it. They might tweak some of the um, the synchronicities. Mm-hmm. Just because some of them can be a little bit rough in like some of the because like you can choose how many of the how many of them are there. I think there are there's four. Like, there's only four. I thought there was like eight, and you could choose. So each of the f- of the f- so there are four characters within the southwest, and oh, and they have. Varieties. They, they, and they each have a sing and the and in the Southwest Sentinels deck, they each have a single alternative. The uh, to uh, 
to play with. Then they each have their own solo decks for when they got their power-ups. Okay. But you can't play them with the Southwest Sentinels deck, because yeah. they are counted as their own hero, because they're finally powerful enough to stand on their own as one. It's sort of like their solo runs, as opposed to their main issue. No, they're still part of a team book. I'm just saying, like, if you have a... If oh, yeah. Like, you have Justice League, but then you have Superman, Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. Batman, Green Lantern. This would, yeah, this would be the similar... Similar thing yeah. for those cards. This would be like if the Fantastic Four got their own solo books, each one of them. I don't think they've really done that a whole lot either. The closest thing would be Marvel 2-in-1, which was a thing teaming up with a bunch of different people. Yeah. Because he's a great um, guy. Yeah. So. But, so I'm very excited. I'm very happy with, <coughs> with the product I've gotten. I can't wait to really just start digging in and playing it and learning how to break the system over my knee. I'm pretty sure the main release is going to be... It, it's up for it's up for retail release now. I think if I if I recall correctly. Because I know correctly. I know Jetpack Comics sells it. So they st- yeah they shout out to Jetpack Comics, not sponsored, but shout out to them. Oh no, they're gonna figure out where we live now that you've said that. They're not gonna listen to this. They will. We don't have enough clout. <laughs> but what if? First we... of all, we're not Zoomers, so we don't have clout. Um, second of all, gee, I know make... I know some of the employees there. If I really wanted to network, I know a person that could. Way to make me feel old. Okay. I'm older than you. You could shut up. <laughs> You're not the boss of me. You're not my real dad. We're co-hosts. I can bully you. <laughs> I, I can just take this. Fine. I'll just take the microphone and go home. I have my own. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> well, Anyways. bye, everyone. This has been a very distracting podcast. Okay. No, 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 no. We're not doing that yet. You still have, <laughs> I still have more to say. So, in tabletop news. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, as a teaser to a podcast topic we're going to talk about with Alec. D&D 5.5. Or what Business Insider and its hilarious like misbroadcasting <laughs> and reading of the tarot, um, calling it 6th edition. Because uh, there's been a lot of talk about Madness of the Multiverse and people like, oh, you're going to have to buy rebuy these other books with their reprinted errata. Mm-hmm in this one book. Yeah. And there's been some, like, release confusion because there's a pre-order for um, the Player's Essential uh, books uh, set, which is going to be another foil book set, like the the Player's uh, Player's Handbook, Monster Manual, and DM's Guide uh, re-release they did. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it's supposed to be included in there, at least it's said to be included in there. Yeah. But the digital version of the book does not come out until March. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, part of the reason why we can definitely say to be sure why there's not this is not going to be a full edition change is that a lot is that it seems like a lot of this this if I'm guessing right right if I'm reading the room right we'll probably just be getting a collection of rules essentially what it would be a bunch of amended rules. That would work backwards compatibly with most 5.0 material. To quote Jeremy Crawford on his Mm. Twitter, this uh, um, Monsters of the Multiverse is backwards compatible with 5e. All it's doing is updating the um, stat blocks for all sorts of people. Stat blocks for the races and the monsters that are that are playable and you fight. Please give me good orcs. Please give me good orcs. As well as like updating some of the lore, like uh, newer books recently from Arve Salvatore. Uh, updated the drow lore, and mm-hmm. now there's two different types of drow. Oh, no. The good drow and the evil drow. Which is I'm okay with. I'll take it. Because that means that there are some that 
follow that are like of the line of Wolf, and then some that mm-hmm. can still remember the the old gods. Yeah. And I think one other big reason why we're not going to be seeing a total edition change is because Jeremy Crawford still works at Wizards of the Coast, and he's the one that primarily designed Final Fee. Yeah, and also because this means that there's no that if he were to change, he'd just be screwing himself over and. As I've learned, uh, looking at the history of D&D, they only do addition changes to screw over ex-employees. Yep. So, with 5e being pretty much in full swing and sort of giving D&D its new renaissance, it would be um, ill-advised to do a full edition change. Instead, just update to, fi- uh, to a point five mm-hmm. uh, to a half edition to uh, republish books with errata, uh, with the errata printed in the book, as well as leading into new content um, they've already they already hinted at doing a Spelljammer book, which we'll probably talk about in the full ver- full version of the podcast about five point five coming out at tut date redacted. I'm gonna have to figure out a, a way to do like sound recording so I can just insert sound bites like that because that'd be brilliant. Anyways, <clears throat> I think the big thing they're leading up to for five point five is gonna be Planescape mm-hmm. because we already got our Ravenloft campaign setting book we're getting a bunch more magic the gathering setting books because mm-hmm. uh, strict saving despite uh, people's initial knee-jerk reaction about it there's a lot of people that are working with it and playing it and are enjoying it yeah. um so i think we're going to get a lot more of those unique settings we could see dark sun eventually mm-hmm. i think we're going to see a dragonlance source book either this year or next year yeah I, I... i'd say closer to next year than this year just because that's a lot to adapt and write mm-hmm. it took them a few years to do Eberron. Yeah, and it, it yeah, and it definitely seems like D and D, their their creators, their directors, uh, are generally starting to listen to the community. Maybe stepping away from just focusing almost exclusively on the Forgotten Realms and the Sword Coast in particular. <laughs> yeah, especially to... with how they mishandled some of their adventures set in Faerun. Like as another thing to dovetail into this five point five teaser and topic. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of announcing uh, Monsters of the Multiverse, they also announced a bunch of pre-orders for miniatures. Because as being uh, your DM, mm-hmm. and also you I- being my DM who borrows my minis, yes. I collect miniatures for D&D as well as print them, because I have a 3D printer. It's on in the background right now. You can kind of hear it. Maybe. Does it pick up in the audio? It might. Uh, it well, might. I'll, I'll keep an eye and I'll monitor it, right? You, you can you re- we're real professionals with this you can tell <laughs> uh, it doesn't register it's too far away that's fair it's my little quiet machine anyways unprofessionalism is my middle name that's why it's Brian um <laughs> so the miniature oh my god stop it don't try to figure this out um Wizards of the Coast announced a bunch of pre-orders for miniatures mm-hmm. mainly big sets alright one of the interesting things I discovered, because I go to, I, um, I get ads on Facebook all the time, because social media is evil, but Miniatures Market uh, advertised to me Storm King's Thunder Miniatures, <coughs> updated models of NPCs from that adventure. Okay, that's a bit of a weird thing to uh, release. But here's the thing. There's like three sets of them. They're all character models from mm-hmm. the adventure. And they're all models that are you can't really pull from boosters now. Hmm. So I've all, so like one thing I'll say now as a teaser because this is going to be a separate topic. I think it'd be interesting to talk about um, uh, booster pack culture 
in g- tabletop gaming. Yes, when trading cards become trading minis. <clears throat> yes, because um, I used to play the original Star Wars miniature game mm-hmm. back in the day when Paperback Bazaar in Dover was a thing. Um, but uh, the collector's market in miniatures ha- is very much consists of scalpers and collectors that know exactly what they have. Mm-hmm. The very traditional classes. eBay is full of them. So to get some, some a miniature like King Hikaton uh, from Striking Thunder, you can get the original model for anywhere between ten dollars and thirty dollars, sometimes forty dollars, depending on someone's markup. All right. The pre-order, which includes King Hikaton, his wife, the queen, um, a ghost, a ghost giant, and like two. Uh, Humanoid creature minis. Mm-hmm. That entire set is like eighty bucks on pre-order. Okay, I can deal with that. Because <clears throat> it's all character miniatures. So they're like they're new sculpts. They're models for characters that they're models for characters that have not even a miniature. Because there's always a chance that you're gonna fight any of them. <sighs> and they have three sets of these. Mm-hmm. They're also doing it for all the denizens of Barovia for Ravenloft. I think they're doing it also for Strixhaven. And they've done one thing, I think Wizards of the Coast, because of people like Jeremy Crawford and the person who was the, the lead, the, um, the, like the top guy for Dungeons & Dragons now runs Wizards of the Coast as a whole. I think because of his business decisions in Dungeons & Dragons, um, they've been slowly moving away from booster boxes and giving us like full creature packs. Mm-hmm. So like I bought the Goblin pack for like $25. There's a Kobold pack, which includes like Ten different, ten different, maybe even more, kobold miniatures for like fifty, for forty nine ninety nine. They have an orc warband that's coming out. Um, they have several other uh, others, others of these creature packs that they're coming out with. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought, why not just release instead of have your your monster manual boosters? Why don't you just release? Hey, here's a variety of goblins. Here's a variety of orcs. Here's your hobgoblins, mm-hmm. your gnolls, your bugbears. They already have, like, icons of the realms for the dragons and the bigger miniatures. Like, they have the Tarask announced. They have Loth announced. They have mm. more demons and archdevils coming out this year. And I think they're moving away from it now because they're understanding that the fans and the consumer want to be able to craft these, special, these specialized adventures. Mm-hmm. And the cheapest way to do that is to just give them what they want. Yeah, Instead of having to pay $400 for a crate of these fucking boosters and maybe pull the same thing five and, times at a time. Yeah, and they're also probably starting to realize that uh, that the model that worked for trading cards does not work when you apply it to an inherently much more expensive and much more uh, physically involved uh, product like a, uh, like a miniature. Because <coughs> when you look at it, you know, trading cards, you can fit a crap ton of them in a single booster. Yeah. But... What do you, you get? What five minis in a booster box? Four. Four. I'm sorry. Three mi- three small miniatures and, and one large. large. I'm still lucky. I got a fire elemental for one of my larges. Yeah. And, but and I think that one of the big issues with that is just that. Well, firstly, those are much more expensive to the, to produce than a card. Yeah. Full stop. Because you need you need the right paints. You need the right casting. It's a not, more, not more even just material. That. You need there's a certain quality of paint that's expected from a booster, which is mostly dog shit. Mm-hmm. But when you make these bespoke mini packs, I can like I could show you the difference between a goblin mini pulled from the booster box and the one that I get you get from the warband box, uh, mm-hmm. warband um, uh, fuck what uh, the plastic box. Mm-hmm. 
day and night. Oh, yeah. Day and night difference. There's, like, actual shading. There might be some washes used, which is kind of rare for Wizards mm. of the Coast. It's a very GW thing, which, honestly, like, GW, I wouldn't follow them at all, even if they were dragging me on a chain. But, like... Yes, this is not a mm. pro GW channel. It's more of a GW needs improvement channel. I would argue, or at least podcast. You, yeah. For you, yes. Yes, for me, because I like 40k, and That's I like fair. fantasy. It's kind of my thing. Um, but, beside the point, um, being able to produce, being able to actually go into the market with these sort of specialized sets, and putting them into brick and mortar stores now, where people understand exactly what they're getting when they go in, mm-hmm. or if a store owner is like, so you want to get into Dungeons & Dragons, here are the books that you require. But if you want some minis, and you kind of have an understanding of what you want to do, or like you're buying an adventure, here are some of the minis that you can get. Because mm-hmm. you have all the unpainted creature miniatures, you have all the unpainted character miniatures you can buy, you have all these box sets that give you set dressing, you have like warlock tiles so you don't have to make your own tile or buy the dungeon tile sets that are on cardstock and like cardboard. Yeah. Th- there's such a market now for these for this game and for all these different tabletop games now that the options and the availability for different product ideas is limitless. And the fact that it took... Wizards of the Coast such a long time to hop onto that bandwagon mm-hmm. is surprising but also unsurprising. I can yeah, and that might just be you know the issue with being the with just the monolithic organization they are now, especially now that Hasbro has become involved. Yeah, and now they run Hasbro. <laughs> well, Wizards of the Coast essentially like run everything with Hasbro for a long time because uh, Hasbro doesn't really make a whole lot of money anymore. People At just, least as far as I know. I don't follow stocks. I could do that research if that's required yeah, of me for this podcast. But like, as far as I'm aware, because of a lot of Hasbro's mismanagement and finances because of releasing movies, mm-hmm. like Transformers under Michael Bay, you have the Battleship film. And the G.I. Joe duology. Uh, they did the Snake Eyes film. Sorry, te- uh, trilogy then. It's not a trilogy, technically. It's a separate reboot. It's like a soft reboot. That's fair. It's kind of a gross soft reboot. I, I haven't seen it. Uh, from what I've heard, it's not worth it. I, I expected that. It's a G.I. Joe movie. Mm, you could do a good G.I. Joe movie. You just gotta get someone like the person that directed, directed and adapted the Jason Bourne films. Mm, that could it. work. Or perhaps... you could do a serious Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow film. Now we're getting tangential with G.I. Joe. Look G.I. what you've done to me. Uh, you're the one who uh, suggested we record tonight. Yes, it did. You know, it's all my fault. Yes. Yes, it is. I'm glad you realized that. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm an asshole. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think once we get to the full topic episode about 5.5, and sort of like the business decision, maybe do a little bit more research into the topic beforehand, mm-hmm. just to kind of see what the, where the market is going there. Um, we'll touch base on that. I just think my initial, at least my initial response is, it's good to see them making the proper steps because it's not like the uh, the flash, the the uh, spark in the pan reaction that they had for three point zero to three point five, where they needed to fix a lot. All they're doing is just mm-hmm. doing increments and adjustments, and also changing the gaming culture surrounding D anD D from being good luck with that very much elitist and more for the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least that's just me. Yeah, we'll see how. De- Definitely, we'll definitely see how that goes on its own. Uh, and one other thing, yeah, what am I trying to say? Come on, brain, work. I know it's late. 
it will I guess it will will be interesting to see how they try and change the, the culture and a lot of the uh, stereotypes and stances are on D and D and let's just say it's gonna be a long road forward though to change this to change uh, the, the culture that surrounds that specific part of tabletop gaming but it's it's a, it's possible though I do find that probably it'll be more uh, driven by the consumers and the fans more than the company itself because uh, they've generally because generally speaking for most of its time uh, Wizards of the Coast and uh, TSR before it didn't really seem to have too too much of a strong hand in guiding the culture of the players you know this this ain't Paizo we're talking about here <laughs> yeah That's not my arena, uh, Paizo, that is, but, um... Hi, I'm a Pathfinder fan. I mean, I like Pathfinder in concept. I haven't played it yet, but I'd like to. Soon. Soon. In, in four to five months, once we finish my campaign. Yes. Um, anyways, in other tabletop news, if I may regale you... Yes, ravish me with your storytelling. It's not storytelling, it's more just, like, reporting. So this week was the Las Vegas Open. Uh, Games Workshop's big 40k in Age of Sigmar tournament that happens in Las Vegas. Uh, uh-huh. LVO, as it's called, uh, often has teasers and release scheduling for new models and new, uh, new battle tones slash codices for their games. As well as like, new product right. lines and whatnot. 2021 was like their worst year for leaks. Accurate leaks, by the way. Mm-hmm. So probably leaks directly from the company to sort of uh, generate the rumor mill and get people excited and sort of gauge interest. Either that or uh, bitter employees wanting to spoil their surprises based on some of the news that's been coming out of TSR in the past or, couple of years. Um, or from investors that want... that Like, from investors who are fans first to, like, get the news out to the fans to sort of be like, hey... Here's what we just got from a recent investor meeting. Here's what here's what's coming up coming up in the pipeline. Last week, <clears throat> um, or, uh, end of last year, they released a new box set for the Eldar. Eldar have not had models since the '90s. Wait, really? The older models, the classic range of Eldar models for 40k, mm-hmm. are old enough to drink in America. <laughs> Okay. They're twenty one. They're twenty plus years old. Uh huh. They're now getting an updated update to the range. <coughs> they released the box set, um, which is uh, Chaos Space Marines versus Eldar, and this is essentially just everyone being told Eldar new Eldar are coming out mm-hmm. new models, updating the range. We're giving it beautiful models, plastic. Nothing fine cast. And everyone's daisies. Mm-hmm. Last week, when they announced LVO was ha- was officially happening still, images leaked of some choice Eldar models, including the Avatar of Cain, which is a large model for one of their gods. Okay. That uh, one of their farseers can take the... Um, take the power of very briefly before they die. It's a model you can run in the game. Images, not like data mining or anything like that. Images, probably from a staff member at um, 
GW leaked the leaked the picture before LVO, and then they had to release an article. Well, no, well he didn't want to wait, so here's the avatar of Kane, and then with yesterday's live stream of all the new releases. They featured all the new options with the Avatar of K model, as well as like the new Eldar Guardians, the new uh, jet bikes and whatnot. Uh, they also announced like, oh, the new Eldar Codex is gonna be all encompassing with the Eldari or the Craftworld Eldar and the Harlequins, also Corsairs, which are Eldar pirates, uh-huh. essentially. But they only showed one Corsair model. When people were like, well, you should show more. You want to see more. You don't just give us a teaser like that when you're saying that they're being included in a codex. Then they went to Horse Heresy, and everyone's like, well, we've known since 2020 that Horse Heresy 2.0 is going to be a thing. Because Horse Heresy still runs with, I think, the 7th edition rules Mm -hmm. of the game of uh, 40k. Search me. We'll do the research, and I'll I'll, uh, bookend the front end of next episode with that uh, news update. Because I don't play Horus Heresy. I own a box, but that's only for the minis. So, everyone's known that there's going to be an update. Because they've been updating the scale of the miniatures for the Space Marines for a while. It's like all last year, with new releases. And 2.0 has been tossed about. They need to update the rules, and you get everything set up for like new range of models. They just released the last Primark model in the character series, Jagged Icon. They were hoping that maybe... A box set, because a box set teaser um, leaked in December. The only thing we got was a character series model for for uh, Carbanda or Garbanda, uh, the Demon General of Corn, uh, famous from the Horse Heresy, for fighting and dueling, and Sanguinius, and then losing. <laughs> Which is fair. It's an epic fight. The I think it's the build the, the build up is happening in the the in the um the Siege of Terror books right now. <clears throat> but that's the only model that was announced for Horus Heresy. No other news. They had a teaser for another ne- for one of their ta- of their skirmish games, Necromunda. No new models featured with that either. They also announced. I'm going to show you for comparison. They announced this model for their Titanus, Titanicus game. Okay. This is a Wolfhound Titan. Okay. This specific model is called a Dire Wolf. Now, recently, if you'd like to uh, tell your experience to our lovely two listeners now, as we've been talking about nerd shit for a while. Four. Maybe. Maybe we'll get one extra play this time. Tell them about how... I recently may have gotten you into Battletech. So, um, recently, uh, like a couple weeks ago at this point, uh, CJ had me over to his plate, to his house, and we started, and he told me about Battletech, uh, and invited me to play a game. Uh, so we do, did a, uh, 2v2, you know, two mechs each, uh, skirmish. And we, ha- and, uh, it was pretty tense, pretty fun, uh, he ended up just barely winning. Meh. Yeah, because you use melee. So, yeah. yeah. Hey, that's what happens when all my heavy guns were disabled. <laughs> so. And I had a good time with it. And that, 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 that mech looks suspiciously like uh, one of, a mech from Mech Warrior. So, getting into it, 
there's been a lot of discourse about this release. You can look it up yourselves, listener. Uh, Adeptus Titanicus uh, War, uh, Warhound Titan Direwolf. Mm. And then, if you want to compare that image with the Battletech Clan Mech Direwolf, one word, you'll get something like this. Or if you want to compare it to an older version of the model, which is made in pewter, this. Okay. There are some similarities I'm seeing this. There is a lot of horrendous similarities. Um, So, if you do not know, Elijah, Mm -hmm. uh, GW has this problem with stealing IP ideas uh, from pre-established intellectual properties. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's how um, they literally had all the models to make Warhammer. Yes. That's um, hmm. same thing with Battletech using a lot of uh, Japanese toys for their models. But GW very specifically and I realized it earlier today they chose the naming very carefully. Because GW has this thing where they need, where they feel this requirement to um, get everything trademarked for their lines, so they can license individual names. That's why their orcs are spelled with a K. Yes, and why their Eldar no longer Eldar; they're called Eldari, A E L D A R I, and why all their Necron names, instead of them being like dead Egyptian, they're like more uh, syllabic. <laughs> <laughs> And to show you the meme that came out with this <laughs> Virgin <laughs> Virgin Titan and Chad Mech. <laughs> um, because GW very specifically spaced out Dire and Wolf for this Wolfhound Titan variant because they want to trademark it. Because they can't trademark Dire Wolf one word because of Battletech. Um, I don't know if you know, but because of recently, <laughs> as of uh, middle of last year, uh, GW uh, basically put out a kill list for fan content on YouTube, which caused a great diaspora of Warhammer players. Um, and I think this will uh, really succinctly tie into, I think, my, what might be the last topic, because I think it's interesting. Um, there was a big diaspora of Warhammer players to Battletech. Mm-hmm. Because Battletech's slowly making a comeback. It was a very niche game in the 80s and 90s, which died because Wizards of the Coast bought, bought out FASA. Then they sold FASA to Tops, and Tops still owns the IP. Mm. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people entered into Battletech and are playing it now. A bunch of new books and stuff have come out. A lot of Kickstarter campaigns have successfully launched in are starting potentially new product lines. Yes, I know. That's why I'm going to try to finish oh, sorry, this up yeah. very quickly. It's fine. Um, I know. There's a shitstorm about to hit. The so Snowmageddon 2022. Haha. <laughs> yes. So, I think what they're trying to do with this heavy air quotes dire wolf model is to try to get those players back. It's like, oh, they're playing a big mech game. Let's get Titanicus mm-hmm. uh, up to date with some of these things. The problem with the Adeptus Titanic with the uh, Titanicus game is that it's oppressively expensive. The box set itself is like two hundred fifty dollars, and you don't get that many Titans with it. 
which the terrain is horrendously expensive. The individual models for larger titans is expensive. It's prohibitively mm-hmm. expensive. Which is definitely something I seem to have noticed with a lot of G-Dub's uh, pr- productions. Yes. You want to know how much it costs to get the combined uh, beginner box and the starter box for Battletech? Okay, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess... $50. So, for both together, mm-hmm. I think it costs around 70 to $80. That's... The starter box, the beginner box is just to learn how to play the game. Mm-hmm. The starter box is just to give yourself a bunch of mechs to play with. So they and seem... to sort of formulate lances with. But miniature boxes, for anywhere from four to five miniatures, Yeah. anywhere from 20 to $30 a box... Not and you get shabby. stat cards. You get pilot cards for their regular for the regular um, classic battle tech. Mm-hmm. For Alpha Strike, which is their um, refined uh, abbreviated war game, and pilot cards for Mech Warrior Destiny, which includes all the which includes the pilot description and all their stats. So you get one box, a bunch of mechs, and all the necessary information for those mechs for three different game types. In one purchase. You do not know how much money people spend on Warhammer shit, but it's a lot. (laughs) So, the final piece of news that I have, which I learned tonight, is that there's a big problem right now with Catalyst Games, the Games Labs, the people who uh, um, run the product side for for Tops for Battletech. They're having a lot of trouble contacting their production in China because the company because uh, Tops is really really deciding to screw over all these new customers in Europe Mm -hmm. because of the Warhammer diaspora there's a lot of people spending money and people are getting the wrong shipments oh god so distribution's really fucked up right now but like Countless Games Labs in and of itself is a small company Mm -hmm. that just runs the that runs the product distribution in regards to advertisement and like production for the game on the American side of things, uh-huh. so um, Catalyst Games very very specifically in their Kickstarters for new products because they just had a successful Kickstarter for the Shalom Fighter. Is like because of the success of the Kickstarter, we might go into Aerotech, which used to be the partner with BattleTech, being all the aerospace assets, so like helicopters and jets and space fighters when they got into space tech stuff. Mm-hmm. But because of the shipping issues, a lot of those new product lines might be delayed because they don't want to go in too fast with new products. Because Battletech is still very niche, but because of this diaspora and this whole blossoming of new customers, they need to strike the iron while it's hot <coughs> while also being careful with not abusing the heat. Mm-hmm. So... As, like, someone who has, like, recently just gotten to Battletech myself and, like, printing models and wanting to purchase the official release models and trying to get you and other people into the game, <laughs> it's really fascinating to see that they are having a problem that's both good and bad. Because, at least in the marketplace, there are now boxes out in the wild and it's slowly but surely gaining enough popularity for people to ask their brick and mortar store owners to order these sets. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and that it's even a bigger problem beyond the U.S. because it's starting to gain a following. And I'd love to see GW eat its fucking shoes when the big <laughs> stompy mech game, which is all about like science, uh, science uh, fiction, 
um, science fiction historical fiction events getting all topsy turvy, mm-hmm. beating out um, the long established war game titan. Barely anymore at this point. It's literally it's it's literally a corpse. I know, just walking on two feet like it's weekend at Bernie's. Except even the two people carrying Bernie are now corpses. It's just a conga line of skeletons. It's just it's weekend at Emotaps. You don't know how well that fits with this analogy about Games Workshop. Or do I? <clears throat> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay, then. I guess that's a really good way to, to T- Tune in off. next time for the end for this of that story arc. <laughs> yes, so because of the hour, I'd say thanks for listening. We hope you, uh, you, ho- we hope you come and listen again. And hopefully with Alec in company, as well as maybe Emma and Brianna, when it comes to talking about Spider-Man. Ooh, yeah. I have a lot to say. I have a lot to say, too. Not all of it I think you will agree with. Which is bound to happen. Oh, yeah. This is going to be a three-headed giant's worth of, like, figuring out and sorting through the film. Which, by the way, I think we'll set up the first part. We'll do that. Uh, do maybe like a nice 10 minute spoiler free review and then he's, he's a spoiler free review it good go watch and then the rest of the three hours will be <laughs> discussing the film Eesh, what think... are we EFAP now no we're not oh, we're, it's not gonna be three hours I'm just saying it's gonna feel like that because there's a lot to say that's so... fair well I do get... thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to click on to us and uh, to listen to us t- tonight. Yes, thank you very much. So we hope to see you again soon. And Thanks for listening, and this has been... Oh, and review us high. What? Nothing. <laughs> you, you asshole, you interrupted my outro. <laughs> Anyways, this has been a very distracted podcast. Have a good night. <laughs>